0: Bell bell. Mm. Got to go round. Yeah. Yeah. Let the spinning wheel spin. <laughs> Alright, welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And should not be relied upon for any financial decisions or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. All right, well, welcome to the show. Question on everybody's mind is where is the market going in 2023? And uh, thank you, by the way, for the fun intro music. That, of course, was the spinning wheel, which you'll remember from the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And uh, I have a client who sends me that song uh, every time I send a market update where the market is uh, not in a good spot. So if you're listening and you know who you are, thank you. I appreciate it every time. It's a good reminder that intro was for you. Um, All right. So question is, Where's the market going in 2023? I've been asked this question a lot lately, and uh, and I don't I don't know if that's the question. Uh, I think the real question is where is the Fed going in 2023? Because depending on where the Fed is uh, and what they do with monetary policy, um, that's going to ripple through the entire economy. And I don't think that we've seen the full effect of all the interest rate hikes. Uh, that we've had this year, the effect of that running through the economy, I I don't think we've seen it yet. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. Um, A lot of today's episode is going to be a walk down memory lane. There's going to be a fair bit where there's uh, some numbers. So if you grab a pencil and a piece of paper, maybe you write some stuff down. Um, Buckle in, this one might get a little long. I have uh, one, two, three, four, eight pages of notes. That I've uh, typed out in preparation for this thing. So I'm going to try to go through this and uh, not bore you in the process. So here we go. So I mentioned the Fed. One year ago, the Fed was suggesting that the inflation that we were seeing uh, through 2021 was transitory. And I was telling my clients that possibly it wasn't transitory. And as it turns out, the inflation was not transitory indeed and it has actually stayed around through all of 2022 and persist to today Um, this time last year the fed funds rate was essentially at 0.08 percent they've been raising all year it's now sitting at about three point seven eight percent and the last time we saw the fed funds rate that high was all the way back to october of 2005. during that time the fed was in a rate hike cycle That began in May of 2004 when the Fed Funds rate was right at about 1%. It continued through July of 2006, so a little more than a two-year rate hike period, uh, starting at 1% in May of 2004, pausing July of 2006 at 5.25%. And it remained there until around August of 2007 when they began cutting interest rates. Now, by August 2007, the Great Financial Crisis had already begun, but most of us weren't yet aware of what was about to unfold, and, and we really didn't have a clue of what 2008 was going to look like. So that started, I think, arguably, Great Financial Crisis started somewhere like June, July of of 2007. The Fed started recognizing it, and they were easing in uh, by August. And so we heard about that Um Through uh, you might remember QE or quantitative easing, and uh, we heard a lot about that in 2007, 2008. From uh, starting with uh, then Fed Chair uh, Greenspan, Greenspan heading into uh, then later Fed Chair uh, Ben Bernanke, who led us through the Great Financial Crisis. so we weren't aware of what 2008 was going to have. We're nowhere near those kinds of conditions in the economy, or uh, nor do we have those kinds of existential risks uh, in the credit or the financial markets. And what we're dealing with this time around, of course, is uh, the story we've been telling for more than a year now, and that's inflation. And remember, the Fed said it was transitory. In fact, it never was. U.S. inflation bottomed right at about 0% in May of 2020, and a side note. Just take a minute and remember where you were, May of 2020. Okay, I digress. Nobody wants to remember that. All right, forget I ever said it. Okay, inflation bottomed May of 2020, kind of floated back up a little bit around one in a maybe one and a quarter to one and a half percent somewhere in there until around March of 2021, and then it just absolutely took off like a rocket ship and peaked in June of 2022 about 2 years later at 9 sorry a little more than a year almost a year and a half later at 9.1%. So we're now down to around 7.1% of inflation year over year down from 9.1 so inflation's come back a little more than 2% the way the math works and hopefully we're headed in a continued direction that's downward. Uh, the trend definitely appears to be that way. We'll see what we get when we get through the holiday season and get the inflation report uh, in January. So the thing with the rates is that the Fed is hell-bent on getting inflation back down to a target of 2%. It's a low number. Um, historically, inflation at 2% is is not as common as we think it is, but that's, that's what they want. They also wanna see the labor market loosen up a bit. And at the same time, they're also talking about 3 million jobs that are unfulfilled. So to me, it's a little bit of a catch 22 as far as what they want and what they're targeting. And as per usual, the Fed is playing behind the eight ball. And it looks like the data they're using to make these decisions are lagging indicators. So they're always going to be playing catch up, which means in my opinion, humbly submitted to you. They're likely going to overshoot on their current rate cycle, and they'll be forced to lower rates, and that's probably going to come some part in maybe the latter part of 2023. That's what I'm thinking, but that's just one man's opinion. Maybe we get to 2024 before they start cutting, but I think they're going to overshoot it. Traditionally, they overshoot it, and then they have to overreact uh, or overcorrect, I should say. Um, And then we end up in these uh, boom and bust cycles like we've been in for the past, oh, I don't know, 20 years. So the Fed and inflation are likely going to continue uh, to control the direction of the market, in my opinion. Indirectly, they control the direction of the market. And that's what we're going to be dealing with going forward. But let's talk a little bit about how we got here beyond what the Fed's doing. Um, and exactly what the markets have been doing for all of 2022. So let's timestamp this. It's Wednesday, December 21st. The market is currently trading at a level. The, and when I say the market, I mean the S&P 500. It goes back uh, several points over the past two years. Uh, we're trading right now back where we were in the middle of October, so just about two months ago. Uh, and then before that, in the middle of September, the market's gone up and down uh, since then. Um, And then from September, you have to go uh, back to July when we thought we had a little bit of a bottom in June um, and the market started to rally a bit. But then from there, to get to the same level we're at today, you have to go all the way back to March 2021 uh, to find that level again. So that's the time period. I think a lot of this really kind of stirs from is around March 2021, the beginning of 2021, first quarter, uh, leading up to where we are today. So if you recall, near the end of February of 2020, the stock market started to weaken. And then of course, with everything rolling out about COVID-19, we had a period of about three weeks where the stock market was just absolute total carnage. It was a very short-lived but total bear market. Um, And then around March 27th of 2020, and I only remember that date specifically because March 27th is my birthday. And that year for my birthday, Congress gave all of us the CARES Act. And after the CARES Act, which uh, let's say starting around the early part of April 2020, we started to have our V-shaped recovery in the stock market that lasted through about October of 2020. So the market essentially came back to where it was right before the sell-off, and then it just kind of bounced around a little bit up and down here and there, a little bit of a dip, and then it came back, and then March 2021 showed up. Okay, March 2021 was a period of total euphoria (laughs) that I have never seen in my career in the investing markets and knowing what I know about money and studying the economy, I've never seen anything like this. Maybe tulip mania in the 1600s, I don't know. But anyway, around March of 2021, you may recall that we had uh, what we now know as quote, meme stocks, and I'm doing air quotes so you can do those as you're listening along, ready? Meme stocks starting to go absolutely crazy. We had more than a million new investment accounts open on the Robinhood trading platform. I think the number was like 1.8 million new investment accounts for March of 2020 through March of 2021 were opened. 1.8 million. I might be off on that number, but I know it was more than a million, less than 2 million. So I'm going to say 1.8 because it sounds like a high number. It sounds higher than 1.2. Somewhere between 1.2 and 1.8 million new investment accounts were open for March of 2020 through March of 2021, and most of them were on Robinhood. Some of them were on things like Coinbase and and uh, Betterments and whatever. Most of the activity was on Robinhood. And around that time, uh, there was a Reddit account called Wall Street Bets, and they rallied up a bunch of traders to kind of pump up some of these stocks that were being uh, shorted by hedge funds. And so these are stocks like AMC Theaters and Bed Bath and Beyond and GameStop. And that was the big kahuna. So you might remember there was a hedge fund by the name of Melvin Capital that was short on GameStop stock. So they were shorting the stock. They believed it was going to continue to go down. The stock was trading somewhere in the neighborhood of about $21, $20 a share, $18 a share, somewhere in that range if I remember correctly. They were betting that the stock would continue to go down, and if it did, uh, they would have a large profit. So these investors who were influenced by Wall Street bets started buying up GameStop to drive the price higher um, to try to punish these hedge funds for picking on these poor companies uh, like GameStop and trying to you know, run, run a profit. So um, that turned into an absolute complete freaking frenzy And somewhere around that time, uh, because of the frenzy and all the things that happened, Robinhood made a decision to halt some of the trading on GameStop. And that created a massive, massive cluster, congressional hearing, big deal, a lot of blowback, all that stuff. So that was happening. Around the same time, SPACs were trading like crazy. And just a refresher, SPACs are essentially shell companies that are worth nothing, they own nothing, they go public as a shell company, um, and then they have a period of time where they can buy another company that's privately held or a series of companies that are privately held and take them public through the SPAC. Now, there's a lot of other technical things involved in how SPACs work and their taxes and all that fun stuff. I'm not gonna get into that, but as an overarching, easy to understand um, explanation, that's what a SPAC was, it's a shell, it could buy companies, it could take them public through the shell. Um, And that means they got to bypass a lot of underwriting requirements that exist when a company intends to go public on its own. Um, A lot of celebrities got behind uh, some of these, uh, some big hedge fund managers, I'm not gonna mention any names, um, got behind the movement and it wasn't long after that, probably somewhere near about November of 2021, Most of those SPACs had lost about, I don't know, the estimate was roughly 80% or more of the value from their IPO price. So that's a major, major loss. Big deal. So GameStop, number two, SPACs. Then at the same time, we had crypto going crazy. Then we had NFTs were being traded like crazy. So stock market's going nuts. NFTs are going nuts. Cryptos going nuts. Spacs are going nuts. At the same time, the Fed was pushing out stimulus checks, which fueled a lot of this frenzy. Businesses were getting paycheck protection loans that were almost completely forgivable for a lot of companies. Real estate was going bananas. Mortgage rates were super low. We had, at the same time, all of this is happening. On the other side of the economy, we had massive supply chain disruptions, We had businesses that were not yet reopened from COVID. We had businesses that were permanently closed because of the pandemic. So we had people working from home, we had people out of work, and on the other side of the market, things are going absolutely nuts and a total frenzy. Uh, Around this time, a massive increase in the number of users on specifically TikTok Giving trading advice and trading tips left and right, right? These TikTok users were notably quitting their jobs, staying home all day to day trade. They had started to make money. We're still in the middle of the pandemic. We're uh, through the first wave of COVID-19, right? We have... Uh, Omicron that's rearing its head. We're still under somewhat of a, you know, can't really travel type of lifestyle, so people didn't really have a whole lot to do except for all of that. So they stayed home, worked from home, quote-unquote played the markets, looked super easy to be an investor. I remember watching one TikTok video, and I I think I've mentioned this before, where there was a husband and a wife, and they're explaining their trading strategy. They said that they had quit their nine-to-five jobs because they had figured out how to make money in the stock market, and they were doing so well, and their strategy was very simple. So they would look for stocks that were priced low, and then they would buy them, and then once they went up a certain amount, they would just sell them, rinse and repeat. It's that easy. I mean, honestly, if it were that easy, we wouldn't even have a market, or. If we had a market, we would have thousands upon thousands more millionaires because it would be just so simple to put money to work when stocks are down and then sell them when stocks go up. I know philosophically that's what you're supposed to do, but investing in individual stocks is one of the hardest damn things an adult person can do successfully for a long period of time. And if you don't believe me, look at Warren Buffett. It's not an easy thing to do. And somebody like Warren Buffett and his partner Charlie Munger Um, they're not just picking stocks when they're low and waiting for them to go up and then selling them in a short period of time. They're playing a very, very long game based on, operative word, valuations. Now, a lot of these same TikTok stock pushers who can no longer make money in a down market, they've been washed out, uh, they've moved on to now, a lot of them, selling life insurance and giving terrible financial advice in the process. But that was the topic of Last podcast episode. You can go back and listen to episode eight, the If You Give a Mouse a Cookie effect. Let me stay on topic. Here is the crux of what happened during that period valuations didn't matter. That's it. Now, if you were a client of mine around this time and you were reading my newsletters, I made mentions several times throughout that entire period, uh, about a year and a half, where I argued that valuations were not important to any part of the market and that it would be continue to be dangerous for the market if it continued to run that way and that we would have to continue to play that game in front of us to to try to stay active to try to get returns to to continue participating but at some point the valuations would matter and we'd have to make adjustments to our expectations now here we are more than a year removed from when all of that kind of started to break apart And the meme stocks are in the basement. SPACs are almost non-existent. NFTs, well, I don't know anybody who's talking about them anymore. Sorry, bored apes. Um, Growth stocks, tech stocks, all of that drove most of the movement in 2021. They've had a terrible 2022. Listen to this list on a year-to-date basis. Ready? This is absolutely astounding. So uh, Rivian down 79%. This is year-to-date. We could go back to IPO prices and things like that but year to date, Rivian's down 79%, Peloton's down 70, Meta or Facebook is down 66, Bitcoin is down around 65, Tesla's down 65, Netflix down 52, Amazon down 50, Disney down 45, Nvidia down 45, Uber down 43, Google down 39, Microsoft down 28, Apple down 25. The S&P 500 is down right around 20%. So those stocks, a lot of those names, uh, Rivian, Peloton, Meta, Bitcoin, Tesla, Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Nvidia, Google, Microsoft, Apple, those were all in so many portfolios. And not only those stocks individually, but people were also buying triple leveraged ETFs or exchange traded funds based on the performance of those stocks. So the way that those triple leveraged investments work is if the stock goes up, and you're three times leverage, then you get three times the value of the investment. But if it goes down, look out below. It's a big, big, big deal. And the thing with triple leveraged ETFs is those things are supposed to be very, very short term traded vehicles. They're not intended to be bought and held in an investment account, but people were doing that. Why? because it looked easy and because everything was going up and so you were able to almost triple your money with not a whole lot of effort and it really looked a heck of a lot more uh, easier and more fun than going to Vegas. So the risk appetite was completely insane. like. Totally insane. And it was all because many of the people buying these things were new to investing, and they all they saw was the market going up and up and up, and these same people were also hearing that the market has been rigged for rich people only, and so they maybe felt like a little bit of vigilantes, I imagine, making those investments, watching their money go up, and sort of uh, spoiling the hedge fund party. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these people have found out over the past year that the market simply doesn't work that way. It's not a one-direction machine that makes money for people. Um, fun fact, I was dictating my notes uh, into a Word document, and One Direction is capitalized, I guess, like for the group One Direction. So, sorry, I just saw that. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, anyway, it's not that easy to be an investor. I, You know, I don't even know if I know a One Direction song. Anyway, not easy to be an investor. Apparently, it's not easy to be uh, up in pop culture either. Because I'm starting my podcast with a song from the 70s. Anyway, because it's not easy to be an investor, it's harder than heck to appropriately and accurately time your buying and your selling. And the other thing, and a lot of these people have learned, is what it means to be a sh- to have short-term tax exposure because you're trading stocks. It's unbelievable how many people were absolutely shocked when they received their 1099 DIVs. Um, They're looking at these documents, they've never seen this document before, it looks like they have a tax bill coming, and then they go file their taxes, and they're not prepared for the result. That forced a lot of people out of the market, and unfortunately a lot of younger people, who for them this was their first exposure to investing, they're now maybe even more jaded about investing than potentially they were prior to the pandemic. And I believe without the pandemic, in fact, probably none of this happens. We don't have these companies and the stocks run away like crazy. We don't have SPACs, we don't have NFTs. We don't have crypto launch like it did and then completely fall. We don't have a lot of that stuff happen. In fact, in recent news, maybe we even argue that Sam Bankman-Fried doesn't happen. Not at least to the extent that it did. 2022 is where we have been left to um, deal with the cleanup of all of this, which is now a mess. Everything's come down. Um, there's been a lot of force selling earlier in the year for a lot of different reasons. That's continued throughout the year. Force selling not only came from individual investors, but also from mutual fund redemptions. Other parts of the market have been losing investors. And because of recency bias, we're now dealing with the psychological effect of anchoring to the prices that we remember from 2021 because they're recent. And it's very easy to look at certain stocks or other investments and think that because Now they're down X percent, and maybe X percent is double digit, um, that it looks like a good time to buy. And the trouble with this is that the prices we saw in 2021, and for all the reasons that I just discussed, frankly, they were artificial. And maybe that's the reason, in my opinion, that the market is now trading back to where it was in March of 2021, because that's when we had a real or close to a fair market value in the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is now trading below its 200 moving day average and it has for most of 2022. There's been a couple of times in the year when we've touched the 200 day moving average, but it's never been able to stay above that for any length of time. Uh, In fact, we're somewhere about 5% below the 200 day moving average. Now the market is trading uh, as I speak, so that 5% is gonna be give or take. In fact, all the numbers, That i talk about in this podcast are going to be give and take because the market is moving if that's a new term for you the 200-day moving average it's basically an indicator that gives an idea of the direction or the trend of the market over a period of time Um, 200 days is uh, agreeably for a lot of market participants a long enough period of time to kind of smooth out the day-to-day volatility of the market so Rather than looking at where the stock market's been over the past couple of days or even over the past couple of weeks, the 200-day moving average gives us a much easier uh, and much more smooth trend line to follow. So when I look at it, to me, it's just a trend line. Some people look at it and try to use it as a predictor. I, of course, am not a technician. However, I will tell you what I see in my own opinion and how I think that might be play out. So that's where we're headed. The opening question was, where's the market going 2023? So I'm going to share with you what I see and what I think might happen. And then more importantly, what do we do? Um, Now, again, this timestamped Wednesday, December 21st, it'll be published as a podcast for public consumption. So one year from now, we can all look back on this and see if Dale's opinions uh, were even remotely close. Um, But here's what remains to be true. Nobody has any clue what's going to happen. In 2023, we could very well see the market potentially retest and push through the lows that we've established in 2022. I'm hearing a lot of talk about a recession that's coming. I've said a couple times this year that I think actually the recession may have already started with where we are in some parts of the economy, like just the cost of food and gas and um, tech company layoffs happening and things like that. Um, but at the same time, we still have a very strong labor market. We have a vibrant consumer. And I think a fair bit of the consumption is going to start to slow down because I think much of the money being spent at this point of the economic cycle is on a lot of travel and expenses, which is really probably just a hangover from the pandemic. Um, and if you've traveled recently, the airports are crazy. The airplanes are to the brim. Um, there's People are just going everywhere they can. And now they can go everywhere they want without a mask. And so they're just going all over the place. Um, That will slow down. People are taking the trips that they couldn't take during the pandemic. So let me shift gears. This is where we're going to get into some numbers here. Let me talk quickly about the valuation of the market because it's going to give some context for where I think we might be headed in 2023. So there's going to be some dollars. There's going to be some percentages. There's going to be some numbers. So hang in there with me. S&P 500 is currently trading uh, around 3904 that's the level the fair market value of the S&P 500 could be somewhere around 3852 based on uh, my math that's a little more than one percent lower than the current trade level how i got to the 3852 let me walk through this and this is where it's going to get a little technical the current trailing 12 month price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500 is about 20.29. Now it's a little bit higher than the historic PE price to earnings of the market, but that's where we are. Now, the components of the S&P 500 have changed, and so that tends to move the earnings of the S&P 500 as well as the Price to earnings. So, um, the PE is about twenty point twenty nine. The earnings per share or EPS of the S and P five hundred is currently estimated at roughly one hundred eighty nine dollars and eighty eight cents per share. Um, So, if you multiply those two numbers together, you get thirty eight fifty two. Now, on average, you would also factor in a growth rate of the market of about five percent. 2% of that you would factor in for dividends, and 3% of that would be increases due to inflation. I'm just going on raw numbers here. I'm not using the growth rate. Much of the talk about the looming recession is based on an expectation that corporate earnings are going to decrease beginning the first quarter of 2023. Now, today, December 21st, um, we did get the big earnings stories from Nike. They exceeded expectations. The market so far has responded very positively Uh, all three of the major indexes are up about one and a half percent on the day so some people are looking at that traders looking at that saying well maybe earnings won't be so bad if nike is coming through with good earnings but we'll see a lot of corporate execs have been guiding their earnings expectations lower and that's just based on what they said in their third quarter earnings calls so i think a lot of them are probably hedging So they're guiding lower, they wanna project that earnings are slowing down, but maybe they're able to come in with a beat of those expectations. And if that works, then it looks like an earnings surprise and the market likes it, it protects the value and the price of their stock and uh, gives a little bit of value to shareholders. And so then things continue to look good. It's a little bit of a game. It's mixed with a little bit of reality of the economic situation. I said that analysts are expecting the earnings to decline. The earnings are expected to decline 2.8% below where they were in 2022. If that happens, it will bring down the earnings per share of the market to about $184.56 against an expected forward 12-month price to earnings ratio of 17.3. So one more time, there's a lot of numbers. The earnings of the S&P 500 would go down to about $184.56, $184.56, they would be multiplied by a lower price-to-earnings ratio expectation, which is 17.3. That's a big decrease from a PE ratio of 20.29. So that that's almost like a worst-case scenario. But if that happens, the potential fair market value of the S&P 500, just do the math, multiply 184.56 times 17.3, you get a fair value of $3,192.95. So are you still with me? What you just heard is that the market is currently trading at about 39.04, and I'm looking at my screen, it's 39.04 spot 25, Um, and that the market at that level may be slightly overvalued by about 1%, and if earnings decline as much as some people are projecting and the price to earnings decreases, the fair market value of the S&P 500 could drop all the way down from roughly 3852 to 3200 And that level is approximately 18% where we are today. Now, let's put that into perspective, okay? because that sounds kind of scary. The S&P 500 has been in a bear market for most of this year. And the bear market, uh, again, I was dictating my notes It should say the bear market. It says the beer market, and maybe after hearing those numbers, you want to get a drink, but hang in there. Um, The bear market officially started somewhere in June of 2022, and as a refresher, we technically enter a bear market when the trading level is 20% or more below the most recent market high. The most recent market high was around January 3rd of 2022, so we thought the market had maybe bottomed somewhere in that range, mid to late June. Um, because it came back up in July. However, as of right now, what we have since experienced is that the lowest lows have actually happened in late October. So a few months later, the market, of course, did go up in July and August. It was a nice bear market rally. We recovered about half of the loss. So the market went up about 16% during that period and then it's come back down. Um, and then we hit a low in late October. It's come up a little bit since then. Um, and then has actually trended it down for a couple of days now um actually for most of december so as of the past couple of days the market is trading around the same what we call a line of resistance that we bumped into back in may and june and resistance is where the price comes up to the line and then will either exceed that level or it will fall below it if it falls below it it's resistant if it stays above it it's considered support Got above it in July and August, fell back below it in October. We spent most of November above that resistance line, and now we're back down to trading right on it. Um, And that line is right around uh, 39.15, give or take a couple points. Okay, that's a lot to digest so far. Hang in there. I'm almost through the numbers. So the average bear market decline is around 33.5% as of the october lows the market was down about 24 and a half percent right now it's down uh, somewhere around 19 if today's trade holds if the market declines as much as the fair number value that i suggested earlier based on the math we would fall about another 16 percent from where we are today Um, and if we do then that'll take us to right around the level of the average bear market now as painful as 2022 has been We've not experienced the full level of pain that's often associated with the average bear market cycle, so it's been painful, but we've been lucky. If you want to look at it that way. Now, if you want a more optimistic view than what I'm painting here, uh, FactSet, which is a uh, an analyst service that I look at from time to time, their analysts have a 12-month price target on the S&P 500 of approximately 44.97. Now, 44.97 is a heck of a lot better than 3,200, agree? 4,497 is quite a bit better than 3,904. That's about 15% above where the market's trading today. So if if FactSet is right on their 12-month price target, and we get to 4,497, that means the market goes up 15% from here. Now, up 15% in 2023 would be a nice change after being down somewhere around 20% which I imagine we'll, we'll finish this year somewhere between down, let's say, 18 and 20%. And usually we get a Santa Claus rally, which is like the last seven trading days of the year, and the average return of that seven-day period is roughly one2 1.5%, something like that. So let's say that holds true. We're going to finish somewhere down 18% for 2022. So going up 15% 2023 is going to be a great change, Um, but going up 15% still wouldn't get us back to the level where the market was one year ago. So still up is up and we all feel better when the market has some positive forward momentum. So we'll take it. So let me wrap up this episode because we've been going uh, now for quite a while. This is going to be the longest um, financial purpose podcast to date. It's been filled with a lot of information. So thanks for hanging in there with me, but let me wrap it up by answering the earlier question and kind of combined with one that was recently asked by a client, which is, what will we do if all the negative sounding stuff happens and the market continues to decline in 2023 from where it is today? So the way I would answer that question depends on where you are financially and what game you're playing. So what do I mean by that? Now. In a lot of cases, I will give a very general answer, Um, and this time I'm actually going to give a little bit of potential uh, actionable ideas, but again, in no way is this considered financial advice. Anything that I'm about to say needs to be vetted based on your situation and with your financial advisor to make sure that, that you're doing the right things. So here we go. What do I mean by what game you're playing? And what do you do so if you're retired already you may want to establish a limit or a bottom if you will on the value of your account this can be a dollar amount it can be a percentage of a decline either way establish a low limit then establish a limit of maybe three to five percent above that bottom line what you're doing here is creating a warning level and you're also creating an emergency exit level if the market reaches that warning level you can start preparing yourself to make decisions in your portfolio. The market pushes past the warning level and then violates your emergency exit limit. Then you need to work with your financial advisor to decide what the next best course of action is going to be. You're gonna wanna try to protect as much as your principal as possible because especially if you're making withdrawals. This is actually the same approach I recommend with individual stocks, by the way. Establish a low limit, establish a warning limit above that, and the goal there is to try to protect profit, um, but not make emotional decisions. And so it just gives you some rumble strips to operate within. And this is the same approach that I've taken with my retired clients this year. I'm not a fan, when you're hitting the rumble strips, uh, not a fan of selling everything and going to cash and sitting on the sidelines. Nor am I a fan of moving everything into things like annuities or some other sort of insurance or structured product that locks up your money under the promise of having floors and buffers and things like that. Um, The reason why is because down markets are not permanent and for those kinds of like insurance and annuities and those products, down markets typically don't last as long as the surrender penalties do for those investments. And sometimes those investments we go into because of fear of the market. If you have the opportunity and you intend to make changes in your portfolio again, With the guidance and collaboration of your financial advisor, look for gains that can be captured where they're tax efficient, and that depends on the type of account where you're holding your money. You can take proceeds, you can reinvest into other holdings that are currently down, Um, maybe they're a good investment. So you only want to put money into things that are down if there's a good, solid investment thesis. Um, Or you can look for other investments that maybe generate stable yield in a volatile market environment. If you're taking withdrawals from the portfolio, you may consider moving about six to nine months of the value of your monthly withdrawals into cash. So just to make that clear, if you're taking, as an example, $2,000 per month from your investment portfolio, maybe you want to create enough cash that will generate about 12 dollars to $18,000 of cash and that will be available for monthly withdrawals and you set that cash aside um, so that way you're not forced to sell investments at potentially inopportune times. Now what you can do with that cash uh, right now, cash is paying money, um, meaning that you can get higher rate CDs and high yield accounts and things like that uh, that are producing a higher yield than we've had in years. I, I haven't talked about cash yield probably since the middle of 2018. And right now I'm talking about cash yield with a lot of clients and we're looking at different things to do with uh, cash that's sitting on the sidelines uh, like this that's being held to make monthly withdrawals from the portfolio. Now that's if you're retired. If you're an accumulator, which means you're still working and still saving, continue contributing to your retirement and other investment accounts, tactically rebalance where possible and where tax efficient. And that's just good, solid, blanket advice. Um, Keep investing, especially in things like 401ks. If you're making regular contributions to other accounts like IRAs or SEP IRAs, if your employer's making contributions, things like that. If you continue investing in those every time that you're earning income, you're doing what's called dollar cost averaging, which means you're buying when the market's moving up or down. And over a longer period of time, That generates a really nice return for you because it compounds at different rates. So you want to keep doing that. Side note on rebalancing. Some of the rebalancing efforts in taxable accounts that happened in 2022 may not have been very tax efficient. However, some of that was incredibly necessary to continue reducing both the internal expense of the portfolio, especially in a down market, and it's an attempt to protect some of the principal by moving money to other places in the market where you can get some level of earnings or yield in the absence of being able to get price appreciation. This means some investors will have losses that they can use for their tax return this year or when they file in the spring of 2023. And some of those will have losses that they'll be able to carry forward to future years. So it's not ideal, but it was tactical and it might've been helpful given where the market has been for uh, the better part of this year. One rule of thumb that will remain true whether the market is going up or down, is that you cannot accurately time attempts to go in and out of the market. You just can't. And it's because we never know where the market's gonna go today or tomorrow, certainly not next year. It's impossible to know when to get out. It's impossible to know when to get back in. Usually you wait too long because of confirmation bias. And it's impossible to know when the best time to start is in the first place. So the best thing to do is to start and keep investing. Don't try to time this stuff. It is catching a falling knife you gotta be right more than once. Just missing the best 10 days of the market over a 20 year period reduces your final results significantly. So just stay in, stay invested, make smart decisions, tactically rebalance, and keep investing. Because we don't know where the market's gonna go, we're gonna remain invested as much as possible at all times. The only way that we can do that successfully is to exercise patience and control our emotions around our money. That's why the work that I do as a financial planner is so heavily focused on establishing financial purpose. If I understand why money is most important to you and you understand it as well, then we have the ability to avoid some of the emotional knee-jerk reactions that we're prone to when we see the market moving and we have either a fear of missing out to the upside or a fear of losing out to the downside. If we know where we stand financially, we have a higher tolerance to withstand market volatility. Um, And that's because we know what we invest in. We know why we own those things. And um, some of that can be timely based on economic environments. Some of it's going to be based on prior performance. Some of it's going to be based on what the economic value of that company is. But we know what we own. We know why we own it. And if it makes sense to exit a position and take profit, we'll talk about it if it makes sense to exit a position because you're emotionally concerned about it we'll talk about that too but what's most important about your money is what we remain focused on regardless of what the stock market's doing let me just uh start to tie this up here where's the market going in 2023 i don't know i have a hunch that it might look a little similar to this year I'll tell you that if we don't get a recession, I think that things are going to be okay and we're probably looking at a better base case where the market has the opportunity to move up. If we do get a recession, I just laid out a few suggestions that you can execute. And again, under the guidance and advice and collaboration with your investment advisor. Barring any major events that we just can't see, I think inflation will continue to come down and we'll see how that impacts the rest of the economy. I do expect that we will start to see some companies that overstaffed, particularly in tech, those companies will continue to lay off. We've already seen that happen across a lot of technology companies. I think that we're in a setup where the market could be favorable based on the economic environment, but I think that we're at risk based on what the Fed does with monetary policy and how that's going to impact everything else around it. So that's enough forecasting for me. I hope this has been helpful. It's been long. Thank you so much for hanging in there. I'm sure it's been a lot of information to digest. Like I said, it was a lot of time and information for me to put together research. The beauty of things like a podcast is you can always rewind and re-listen. And because it's public, you can drop me a comment and share your thoughts. And I hope that you do. Uh, So we're well into Hanukkah. Christmas is just a couple of days away. So happy holidays to you and yours